take your Bibles, if you have them, or your Philippians booklet, and we're going to be back in our study through Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. I read that prayer from a little booklet I got over Christmas called Be Thou My Vision, and it's, it's liturgies, personal devotion devotional liturgies that just kind of walk you through a quiet time. And so I'm doing that for the month of January. And I noticed right before you come to the part of the devotion where you read the Bible, they have these beautiful prayers from saints of old. And it ought to be so appropriate for us to read one of those, pray one of those as we come to God's word this morning. We're going to be covering Philippians chapter three, verses 17 through chapter four, verse one. I hereby declare on oath, that I absolutely and entirely renounce all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. Uh, My mother uh, recited those words of the oath of allegiance at her naturalization ceremony in 1960 in the year that I was born. Uh, that oath and the other things she did, of course, making her a citizen of the United States of America, and it shaped her, it shaped her future profoundly. Um, most of us in the room were born citizens of the United States. I'm sure there are some perhaps that weren't, but most of us were born as citizens, and I think it's probably rare that we reflect on our citizenship, uh, that we reflect on its obligations and responsibilities as well as its privileges. And even as I was thinking through the message and my mom and looking at things that you do to become a citizen, I think we, we rarely, if we've ever considered what people like my mom, my mom is Japanese, but what she said no to in order to say yes to this. And of course she said yes to her husband and the, I'm the youngest of three children, but indeed there's a well, there's great privileges, aren't there? There, there are great costs to citizenship. Um, while we may not think of it, in our text today, Paul's gonna exhort us and remind us that reflecting on our citizenship has profound consequences for our life of faith. Um, he's going to invite us, quite frankly, that the message is this. We need to bring our citizenship to every moment and every decision in life. Our citizenship should be reflected in that which we choose and say yes to and say no to. Um, By way of context, when when we pick up this passage, um, Eric had, had finished this out back in chapter three, Uh, verses 12 through 16, the one thing. Uh, We're still in those thoughts and really Eric began it and I'm gonna pick it up. But what what we've picked up is the beginning of the end. That's what this section is. 
So when we think of Philippians, I want you to think of it in this way. Back in chapter one, verse 27, Paul writes, stand firm in one spirit, one Lord, one faith, et cetera, stand firm. And then in chapter four, verse one, which is part of our text today, I'll put it on the screen. Uh, Paul writes, therefore, my brothers, brothers and sisters, my family of faith, those who are in the family of faith, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So when you think about the book of Philippians, and I say this message and Eric's with it is the beginning and the end, what I mean is every letter or, or book has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there's the introductory beginning, there's the end, and then there's the main section. And, and the, the beginning of the main section was chapter one, verse 27, stand firm. The end of the main section is chapter four, verse one, stand firm. So this passage we're covering today is the beginning of the end. We're at the end of the main heart of the text. And if I could say this, the main message in a sense is stand firm. So everything we covered you all, all the way from 127 to today, Paul's talking about how we stand firm in the Lord. Now, this word stand firm, it's, it, it's, it's interesting in the Greek because it's, it's one Greek word, it's two English words for us. And it's not, um, it's not stand still and it's not you know, stand firm as in stand here and guard this and you, you know, the guard stands all night, stand firm in your position. The idea between this, in this Greek word is this, stand firm as the enemy approaches. Now you've got the context. It's stand firm even as that which you see on the horizon comes towards you that, that could wipe you out. There, in that place, stand firm. Now I know for a fact that Everyone in the room has a battle they're fighting. And some of us are, are, are at places, some of you are at places where you look out in your world and you see a tidal wave coming. It could be vocational, relational, it could be any of the, anything. But there's an event, circumstances in your life that, that look like this is gonna wipe us out. This is gonna destroy us. I don't know how we're gonna make it through this. Some stand on the edge of a great unknown. There's been a transition in your life and you're not sure what the next phase is gonna look like. And, and that, that could overwhelm you. It's like that, that your hope is fading and it's, you see, it's in those places that Paul is saying, stand firm. The question is how? Well, he's been answering that. And uh, certainly there's a, a multifaceted answers to, to our standing firm. But what I wanna suggest in our text today is that he's gonna, he's gonna summarize it with a word, citizenship. That here's where he's gonna land in, the, in this kind, it's gonna be your citizenship is what matters. You see, citizenship's not just a legal standing. For Paul, it, it is a spiritual reality, you all, with profound real world implications. And it's the basis of our citizenship that we can stand firm. I'm telling you, when the ground is shaking and when things are falling away, it's right there and then out of our citizenship 
you and I do not lose hope. So with that, let me read the main core of our text today. It's verses 17 through 21. You can follow along in your Bibles or your booklets. God's word to us today. Brothers, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Uh, Let me give you just three words. I had three sentences, three statements, and I decided, no, I'm just gonna give you three words, three words that we'll walk through that summarize Paul's words to us. Uh, The first word is imitate, that's verse 17. The second, avoid. 18 and 19, and the third is await, 20 and 21. So here's our message today, imitate, avoid, and then await. Let me walk through each one and connect them. First, verse 17, look back at your Bibles. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What what, what this verse is, is, is getting at, we sit back and go, what, what's he saying here? He's saying at least this, that no one stands firm alone. I could say it another way. There is no spiritual growth and maturity by yourself. I could say it this way. No one can actually follow Jesus by themselves. There's a plural in the text. You know, it's like you all, together, together, follow me. And and to be super clear, Paul, 1 Corinthians 11 says this, imitate me as I follow Christ. So Jesus is at the head of the line here, okay? And Paul's following Jesus and Paul can turn and say, you all follow me. Now, when we say, well, how do you follow Paul? Well, Paul's written the better part of the New Testament. We have his words, certainly. Then he also says, not just follow me, but look around and look for people who are following Jesus like I am and follow them. Y'all, the the Christian life, um, I wanna be careful. I wanna be careful as as I slice this a little thinner. Uh, we're always encouraging us as Christ followers to, 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 to be in the word. That I mean, it's so foundational to faith that we're regular feeders of God's word, that, that his revelation to us is a, is a part of our breath and life and food and nourishment. Um, that's foundational. But I, I, I wanna say this, that's not enough. Paul says, Paul tells us that matters, but what's also required is that we actually find human beings, 
tangible people that we see, we hear, we can sit with, they talk, we watch them and then follow them, imitate, follow them. That, that, that spiritual growth comes not just from reading our Bible and holding up and getting, you know, being knowledgeable of the Bible. It's no, and then we look and we see people who follow Jesus and we, we imitate them. If we're gonna stand firm, the first thing I, I would say in this under imitate is, you know, pretty simply is, well, we'll pick your eyes up and find somebody to imitate because you won't stand firm alone. Second thing, he says, there are some people to avoid. Now, this is not a direct command in here, so I'm, I'm getting this implicitly. But there are people to imitate and then there, there are those to avoid. That's verses 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, when Paul speaks of enemies of the cross here, um, He's not talking about um, lost humanity because he could be in another context, but not here. Because all of us, every human being ever born on the planet is born an enemy of the cross. What what do I mean by that? Well, what what, what we mean by that is we're born rejecting the cross. What do you mean rejecting the cross? We're born rejecting the person and work of Jesus. We we don't naturally, we're not naturally inclined. We're not even capable of of trusting what Jesus has done. He's done for me. We're enemies of the cross. We reject it. But what Paul's talking about is a very specific group of people. And, And why I say this is because the words he uses, the familiarity with which he speaks of them, I've talked about them to you often, i.e., you know them. These are people around. So who he's describing here, and I will say scholars are, are debate, debate on this. Uh, some say it's, it's the Judaizers. It's those who in chapter one, you know, were leading people astray, certainly could be. I would fall more in line with those who would say that when Paul speaks of enemies of the cross, he is speaking of those who profess to follow Jesus, but by their behavior, demonstrate they're not following Jesus at all. It, it's, a, it, it's fascinating, really, when you look at this, he doesn't speak of those enemies, people who are enemies of the cross. He doesn't talk about what they believe nor things that they are saying. It's all behavior. It's all things they do. Now, Paul, of course, he, you know, the, the profession of faith that you and I, when we speak, Jesus is Lord, I'm following Christ. You know, I, I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. The, the, those professions matter, but Paul will have no profession if it's not matched by a conduct of life that matches the profession. Now, I wanna be careful here. He's not, you know, genuine Christians who put their faith in Christ, me included, look, we struggle. We don't always follow Jesus as we should. We don't always do the right thing, avoid the bad. We, we, we fail, we make mistakes. So, so it's not like, oh, wait, if you're a Christian, you, need, you can't ever make a mistake. You're, you're, not, you're not doing a Christian thing. No, no, those who follow Christ still sin, but the heart of one who follows Christ repents, acknowledges the sin, 
turns back to Christ, to God, lives a continual life of repentance. Who he's describing would be those who profess a faith in Christ, but whose pattern of life over time simply does not match up to the profession that they made. Okay, we all go up and down. We all do that. I'm talking about those, he's talking about those who, who by their choices show they, they reject trust in the finished work of Christ. He describes it this way, their end is destruction. That is their end is separation from God because they live now separated from God. Because though they say that with their mouth that they haven't believed in their heart such that it shapes their behavior. Their end's destruction. Their God is their belly. Belly, a metaphor for the inner life. Think about heart, right? When we talk about the whole heart following Jesus, thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. The belly would be that below the waterline stuff, motives, attitudes, longings, desires. Their, their longings and desires, their God is their belly, i.e. what they want, they pursue. They, they're, they're constantly seeking to satisfy their own appetite and to satisfy it with anything other than God, but just the things that, that they choose and they want and they desire. Their belly has become their God. They glory in their shame. That which should embarrass them, that which should prompt in a Christ follower, that's not right. You know, uh, for them, they glory in those things. I took, Lisa and I took some couples to lunch. This has been a couple months ago. And uh, in particular, I wanted to take this one couple because the wife is a teacher in Williamson County. And, uh, you know, she's, she's in her late 20s and, and just started teaching. And, she, you know, she's in her first three months of, of, of teaching. And um, we've got a daughter, our youngest daughter, Sally, is in education at UT. And um, so I'm always curious, you know, to hear from teachers and how it's going and what's going on. And Lisa and I, you know, our kids are, are grown. And so they're, they're, they're no longer in Williamson County Schools. So I can't even keep up with Williamson County Schools, you know, the stuff that goes. I don't even hear from Carol Birdsong anymore. I mean, it doesn't matter to me whether school's in or out. <laughs> Um, but uh, I took her to lunch and, and I'm telling you, I knew this, but boy, when you just hear it straight from the horse's mouth, kind of what's, she teaches high school and kind of what's going on in the classroom generally and just the, the difficulties of teaching. And some of you are educators and thank God for you and, and, and what you do day in and out with our kids and students, but it's, it's rough. And so, she was telling me, she goes, well, you know, like even the, this thing going around this TikTok, it's this national thing where kids are videoing themselves on TikTok. And I'm like, well, no, I have no idea what you're talking about because I'm not on social media. She said, Lloyd, she goes, um, it's, a, it's a national thing. And this was this fall. I don't know if it's still going, but where kids video themselves vandalizing the school. I mean, like ripping urinals off the wall or tearing goalposts down, you know what I'm saying? And she said, yeah, it's a big deal. So kids are just doing this. They TikTok themselves, i.e. you video yourself doing this and then you post it. Why? Because you're, it's cool, right? It's, you, 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 they, they glory in that. Now hear, hear this, y'all. All of us did stuff in high school that was like, thank God, for me at least, thank God there was no phone or pictures, right? All of us. And I mean, you know, we just did crazy stuff. So I, I get that. But boy, when she was telling me this, I was just going, the hair was just standing up on the back of my neck like, are you kidding me? A kid's going in and 
you know, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm, you know, an old guy that's like, no, you don't do, you know, et cetera. Um, and so I thought of that because that's, they, they, they glory in their shame. That, that's not right. And, and of course, that's an easy pickings, you know, with you, you pick out a lessons, we do stupid things. But I really did have this thought. I thought, well, do I glory in, in things that should be embarrassing? And the truth is, yes. And, and I don't have anybody else in mind, so I'm only talking to myself, but some of the stuff that, that I'll watch on, re, some of the reality TV stuff, really, y'all, think about. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not going to name shows. I'm just going, there's reality TV stuff that you look at and, and you just want to go, that's, that's so wrong. And yet, and let's get, make the popcorn, you know? And we can glory. And I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be goody two-shoes or anything. I, I, I'm just wrestling with that myself. Do I glory in that which should bring shame? Well, these people do. And then with their minds set on earthly things, they, this would be a people who look out at their life and all they can see is they can see the world and the end of, at the edge of the horizon is death and that's it. And so their, their whole mindset is what this world has to offer and that's all. There's no sense of what's beyond the grave. There's no sense of there's a spiritual world that in a sense is, well, not in a sense, a spiritual world that is as real as the physical world. And there are consequences in this physical world that live on forever. See, they, they, don't, they don't have any of that mindset. It's just this world. So whatever this world has to offer, I'm gonna be grabbing it and taking it and this world only is gonna shape my decisions. Y'all, it's a sober warning because again, I mentioned those to avoid are people you know. I mean, the, Paul says, I've talked to them often. You know them. People, people, this is people in church, in our church, in your fellowship group. I mean, just, again, I got no names. I'm not picking a person. I'm just going, this is what's within the body. And Paul is deeply concerned, concerned to tears. You want to stand firm. We imitate those who are following Jesus. We avoid those, we avoid those who are enemies of the cross by their behavior. And then last, he concludes with this word, await. Look at verses 20 and 21. Against those who are enemies of the Christ, he says, but contrast, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we, will, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When you are facing an enemy that's approaching or that's already landed and you're in battle and you're struggling and hope is waning, Paul says, remember, you're a citizen of heaven. Go to your citizenship. This is secured, of course, by trust in Christ, that those who place their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ are citizens of heaven. It's a profound statement of identity. And I want us to, to, to know that the original audience, when they felt that, like you're a citizen of heaven, boy, they felt it profoundly, perhaps more acutely than we do. And I'll, I'll say this, you know, when we study our Bible, we say, 
What did it mean to the original audience? And from that, we can then extrapolate and say, okay, this is what it means for us today. So back to the original audience, 42 AD, Rome conquers the whole region. Rome is 4,600 miles away, but Rome says to Philippi, this small town, you're a colony of Rome. This piece of dirt you guys live in and where you are, it's Rome. Legally, it's Rome. If you're a citizen, all the values, all the privileges and responsibilities of being a Roman citizen, they're yours. Live like it. You're you're in Rome over here. This is so important. Now, those who lived in Rome as Roman citizens, which some of these these church members are in Philippi. Those Roman citizens, their goal, their goal in life was not one day we're gonna get back to Rome. No, I mean, geopolitically even, Rome didn't want them back there. That's That's why they declared this Rome, so they would stay over here. You know, all these retired soldiers, et cetera. That was a lot of what made up Philippi. So no, they didn't live with the longing, one day we'll get to go back to Rome, but rather with the privileges and responsibilities of Rome, we're gonna live right here for the good of Philippi and everyone around us so they can see the glory and goodness of Rome, but we're gonna do it right here as Roman citizens. And I hope you connect the dots in your mind that those of us who've placed our faith in Christ, we are now on this planet where you live, work, and play, we're little Philippi's, we're little colonies, if I could use that. I know it's a, it's a very bad word in a sense. It carries so much baggage with it, but appropriately, we are colonies of heaven and we are citizens of heaven. And we do not live on this earth, however long the Lord gives us, pining for the day when we get to go to heaven. That's so contrary to the New Testament, wherein there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will come back. And you see, when Jesus comes back, he brings to this planet heaven. Heaven's not like just some some place that's floating out there that, that God is. Heaven is there's a sense of place to it in that it's where God and his own live in perfect unity and harmony, absent of sin. But you and I don't live waiting to get there. We live as citizens of that kingdom, awaiting the day when Jesus comes and that kingdom is fully realized, you all, on planet earth. Are you with me? That's the proper biblical understanding of heaven. And so we live as citizens of a heavenly kingdom and that kingdom ethic and values and priorities is reflected as we live, what does Paul say? As aliens and strangers. Yes, we're in a foreign land, but we live for the good of this foreign land to show this foreign land who our God is and what he's like and what he's done for them. 
Notice when Jesus comes, Paul says, and he could say much, but he says this here, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. How? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All that is was created by Jesus. Jesus has the power to change our lowly bodies into his resurrected body. When, when Jesus returns and he says he's going to transform our lowly body, lowly body is not a statement of value, like, you know, this body that's just nothing. That's not what he's, that's not what he's saying at all. He's actually saying the opposite. I mean, the body, your body, can I say this? I'm looking at everyone in the room. There's no one in this room that looks like, sounds like, everyone's unique. Your one-of-a-kind body is precious. So precious that when Jesus comes back, and if you've been dead a thousand years or however, you're nothing but dust, he's gonna resurrect your body the way you look. He's gonna resurrect that and reconnect your soul to that. Death is separation of the soul from the body. But in, in resurrection, which is our hope, and when Jesus comes and brings the kingdom in its fullness, our bodies will be resurrected, our souls reconnected, and we will have a resurrected body, you all. That's why the human body is precious. It matters. This, I'm talking about this flesh that he'll resurrect. There is what theologians call discontinuity and continuity in this. There's discontinuity because there's things that are very different about your resurrected body than, your, than my body right now. There's continuity because there's a lot about our body that's gonna be the same. Our lowly body, let me say again, is just simply a phrase to describe the fallenness of our bodies. We get, you know, we age and things break. Disease, sin, we do evil. You know, th th that's our lowly bodies, our fallen bodies. Well, he's gonna, he's gonna transform this fallen body into a body like his. Well, what's Jesus' resurrected body and what's ours gonna be like? Here's, here's the great mystery and here's what we know, okay, biblically. And there's more mystery than knowing. But think about Jesus post-resurrection, you all. He walked, he talked, he got hungry. They could touch him. They could recognize, you know what I'm saying? Like he was there. He wasn't a ghost. It wasn't an apparition. It wasn't a mist. It was, that's Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It was him, his resurrected body. And they were in a locked room and it was locked. No one could get in or out. No one did. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. How'd that happen? Again, we, we, well, I don't know. Or the road to Emmaus, he walks with these two disciples. They don't even, they don't know, they don't recognize him. Their eyes have been, you know, the spirit has blinded them to see this. But then when Jesus finishes telling them the whole Old Testament and how it points to him, he breaks bread with them. He's, they say, let's sit down and eat with us. He breaks bread and they go, it's Jesus. And then right when they say that, he's gone. Like what happened? <laughs> So Lord, are you saying that we're gonna be able to pop in and out, you know? I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's what Jesus did. There's clearly continuity that he was a human being with flesh 
And there's discontinuity because he displayed something that you and I can't get our heads around in that body. Over the break, now this is maybe at Thanksgiving. No, maybe it's Christmas break. Um, my two girls and I, we went to, uh, went to the movies and went to see Spider-Man No Way Home, which I'm not in the Marvel movies. I mean, I don't follow them or whatever, you know. One of my girls had to send me a 12-minute video to watch just to say, look, you need to watch this before you go because this is number 39. I don't know. And, uh, but I just got to say, we, we love the movie, right? I don't know if there's any fans here, but gosh, it was so good. We, I just thought that was the best. We came out of it going, that's so entertaining, so good. But, but, but it made me think of this in this way. The Marvel universe can make movies and create characters for a thousand years. And they wouldn't begin to touch what a resurrected body will be and what it will mean and what you will do in that resurrected body forever. I mean, that's where I, that's as far as that's, I just, I can't, our heads can't contain it. But it will be because you're a citizen of heaven. Which brings us to our invitation to joy. I'm gonna invite the worship team back up and I'm gonna invite you to do this, to ask the spirit to, to show you how do you apply this text. When we teach our Bible, we understand that the Bible, reading the Bible doesn't change you. It's living the Bible. It's applying the, the truth, the text. And so we always pause in this way. And you know this, we, in, in Philippians, we're calling it the invitation to joy. So what is the Spirit's invitation to joy for you today? Um, how might your citizenship in heaven enable you to stand firm? How can you stand? Some of you need to stand firm today. And perhaps there's a relationship you need to imitate. Is, is there someone you need to go to? And perhaps, you know, you need to grab someone else and say, hey, let's you and I go talk to so-and-so about just helping us in this journey of faith. Is, is there something that way? Is there a relationship that you need to avoid, that, that you need to avoid and stay away from? Is there, as you await Christ in a difficult situation, all of us waiting, you know, remember Advent, um, how does your citizenship shape your weight? What is the Spirit inviting you to trust him for right now? Perhaps to do, certainly to trust. Would you think about that for a moment? Let me give you a second. Then we'll come to the table. invite you to take the table elements. You know, we, we, we didn't take our, we didn't go to the table during Advent because it was a, that was part of our preparation. I know Eric led you last week in this. And we do this week by week now, of course, we come to this table, bread representing the body of Christ, the, the, the blood representing his life. Take the bread and the cup. If you need to go out and get one, I'm going to have you stand in a moment and you can just slip out and grab one. In fact, let's go ahead and stand, please, if you would. Holding the bread and the cup. I, 
I love this part of our liturgy. That week by week, we remind ourselves what matters most. It's Jesus. And I've thought about it related to this passage because it says, and as citizens of heaven, we await the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's okay to do this, to look where you are and think, oh God, I look forward to that day when sin is erased, when there's no cancer, no disease, no death, no evil, no injustice, when all things are set. Oh God, I look forward to that day. And, and I do too with you. But I want us to note that Paul in our passage says, not we await the benefits that Jesus will bring, but we await Jesus. And I want to remind us, even as Paul does, our great hope is Jesus, the God-man, Jesus. And we await not him so much setting all things right as just him and being with him and in his presence and seeing him face to face, all secured by his life, death, and resurrection. Lord Jesus, for your body broken on our behalf today, we say thank you. Take and eat. And we remember at this table that it was your blood poured out, meaning it was your life given in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place. Take and drink the cup. We will sing these words. We welcome your kingdom here. And we, we're singing this song because to say those words, to go, we welcome your kingdom. Only those who are in the kingdom can truly do that. If, if you're not in the kingdom, you wouldn't be welcoming his kingdom. But we do as those born again by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So let us proclaim we indeed welcome your kingdom. And we do because we're citizens right now of your kingdom, oh God. And as citizens of God's kingdom, we'll sing this. Our hope won't be shaken. Meaning this, as citizens of the kingdom, our, our hope will not evaporate. Our hope is sure, even as the world is shaking around us. And in fact, death itself, the great enemy, it will not prevail for citizens of the kingdom.